Hey everyone, Steven here. Welcome back to a new episode of Rally Caps. Before we get started, a quick heads up. This episode was recorded under the name Slow Burn, and we have since changed the name of the show to Rally Caps. If you want to know why we changed the name, go check out our first episode. But despite the name change, the content of the conversation is still awesome, and we hope you enjoy the show. Amazing. Yep. Well, welcome to Slow Burn, uh, the podcast for creative entrepreneurs who are in it for the long haul. Today, we have the privilege of having Benj Heish on our show. Not Benji, not Ben, <laughs> not Hash. It's Benj Heish. He's located uh, in the Pacific Northwest, more specifically Seattle, Tacoma area. Uh, he's a wedding and elopement photographer, and he also dabbles in YouTube. He's married with two kids. Congrats on the new baby, Benj. And he works out of uh, his sick little studio he built on his own with his bare hands in his backyard. Is all that true? Or I no, no, that's not true. <laughs> I did not build. I didn't build any of the framing of this. Actually, <laughs> uh, I know we'll get to like more important things, but like, how big is that thing in your backyard? That's like it's freaking awesome. I feel like it's everybody's dream. Yeah, I mean, especially now with like the pandemic stuff, like everyone's working from home, and um, yeah, luckily I built it earlier. But yeah, it's, uh, due to my constraints in my city, it is 192 square feet because um, the local regulations it has to be under 200 square feet and under 12 feet tall um, to not have to get a permit. So technically, I'm in a shed. Um, and so, yeah, it's uh, 12 by 18 is how big this space is, which is just big enough for me to, yeah, work and uh, have two directions to film. I have this way and then I can film against my backdrop and, uh, you know, have my guitars in here and that kind of stuff. Nice. So and good, it's man. 35 it's feet, feet away tall. from my house. So my <laughs> commute is 35 feet. So pretty decent. <laughs> Now, the typical way everybody starts on a podcast is when, you know, when they have guests, they're like, all right, tell us about your story, who you are. And I just like, <laughs> just don't want to do that. So uh, rather fine by that, because we already introed you, like we get it. You're you're a wedding photographer, you're a elopement photographer. That's primarily what you do. And we'll get more into like other things that you do later. But I just kind of want to jump in because most people who are into creative entrepreneurship are obviously in it to make money. And so I just want to jump in sure. and talk about like. How, what kind of money did you make when you first started doing what you you do you do and did it like fall into your lap? I know a lot of creative things can kind of fall into your lap uh, or did you pursue making money in some interesting way? Yeah, um, well, I mean, it depends on how far into this you want to go, but um, I originally was planning on just like working at a church and being like a either like a music pastor or a creative pastor, maybe even like a student pastor or something at the time. Because um, I think I was 21 or 20 or so when I, I photographed my first wedding. Um, and it was only because, you know, someone's like someone that I like sort of knew her sister was getting married and they needed somebody and uh, I'd never been to a wedding before. So it was totally one of those things that kind of fell into my lap. Um, but I was going to school at the time. I was working full time at this church. Um, and then I started just like randomly doing weddings. 
Um, and it slowly became, you know, I was working this trade, I think I made like 10 or $12 an hour, like working like 36 hours a week or so while going to school. So it obviously wasn't making a ton of money. Um, so once I was, you know, if I would do one wedding in a month, I was making two grand, which was better than what I was making at this church and stuff like that. And so, uh, eventually once I started shooting like weddings into the teens and started, I remember the first time I charged $2,000 for a wedding, I was like, oh my gosh, I've made it. Like this could be a real thing. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, early on I was, I was, I think my first year I did like three weddings. The next year I did like eight or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, I wasn't making a ton of money. But um, I probably th- I think it probably took me four, four probably four years before I was making like fifty grand or so like like a normal job's worth salary that I was anticipating making as a human. <laughs> um, and at that point, it was like okay, I need to either take this really seriously and do this like this photography thing uh, because it's either going to take off without me or I'm going to go with it. Um, and it was like, I was working full time at this other thing, doing, uh, the church thing, or I could do photography and I actually tried to do the church thing. I asked them if they would hire me full time and they said, no, like they, they said, yeah, we'll hire you full time. But it was at like a very incredibly low rate, um, that was not going to be worth it at all. And so at that point it was like, okay, this is easy to kind of like cut bait, uh, from a logical standpoint, my heart was wanting to do the church thing. Um, but from like a financial standpoint, it was like, okay, cool. I can now like go into this, invest in my time and everything like that into it and kind of go for it. Um, and at that point, like is, is when it really kind of just shot off and got crazy. It was actually around the time I photographed your wedding, Eric. So, <laughs> um, just pretty crazy. Yeah. That was like 2013. So 2013. maybe five years into it. Six. Yeah, I think it was. So I think it was like the year before your wedding. Uh, the season before is when I was like, okay, I need to like do this, do this. Um, and then 2013 specifically is when I fell into like, uh, for those who don't know me, uh, fell into like adventure elopements and that kind of thing as well. Um, and that's when my stuff like combined with me putting everything I had into it, finding that path and just kind of like skyrocketing from there. Um, not skyrocketing, but in my own terms, like that's when everything really kind of took but, off for but me and made sense. And it became like a legitimate career. This is what I'm going to do. Um, yeah. That's, you say fell into elopements and the adventure elopement style. Sure. Explain that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I wouldn't say I fell, fell into it, but like the opportunity uh, was sort of in my lap and I just decided that I was going to do whatever I could to make it happen. Um, I grew up in the, in the Northwest. I grew up camping every weekend. Um, I grew up just being like snowboarding and wakeboarding and being outdoors. And, um, as I started to do weddings, I was just in ballrooms and hotels and everything every weekend. And it just like the way that my life had gone prior and then the way my life had started to go once I started doing wedding photography, like didn't like work together well. And so I started thinking, man, like there's got to be other people that don't want to get married in like a hotel ballroom. Not that there's anything wrong with that, um, but there's got to be people that want something a little bit more laid back, a little bit more outdoors, a little bit more like my normal camping experiences would have been. Um, so at that point, I had I had photographed uh, an elopement uh, for a couple 
And it was the first like true adventure elopement kind of thing. Like we even were the ones that named it adventure elopement. Um, and it like just blew up on green wedding shoes and became its own like sub industry. But it was something I was already pushing into. I was trying to get my couples to do their portraits in cooler locations. And then we would like go to the hotel ballroom later, but they would have these photos like out in the wilderness and out in that kind of thing. And I would try to like, you know, find these little vignettes that looked like that. Um, so I was already like kind of cultivating that as part of my brand and my image. Uh, and then when the opportunity presented itself in like a full way, that was when I was able to just like go kind of all in on that and make that like really who I was and what I was doing and that kind of thing. If that makes sense. Yeah. Really cool. Uh, you just kind of capitalizing your location and like allowing mm -hmm. that because there, you know, a lot of stuff in the Midwest or I know a lot of other people could relate. It's like, oh, well, I can't really go out into a forest, you know, to do that. But being able <laughs> yeah. to kind of brand yourself in that way uh, and capitalizing on that, because I think a lot of people don't realize the kind of things that they can capitalize on. You know, maybe it's not that for me with, you know, with me being in Chicago, but maybe I lean more into, uh, you know, running around the city and doing a more urban vibe yeah. and catering to that uh awesome and you kind of already answered uh, uh the next question we had for you with <laughs> being able to jump uh ship and kind of going full-time five to six years how how quickly do you think anybody could do that and do you feel like your way was an, an efficient way to do that or how, how is it different now five five to seven years after that even yeah, I think, um, uh, yeah, I would definitely say mine's not the efficient approach. The way that I do everything to probably a fault is I'm just like super cautious about whatever I'm going to do. Like if I'm going to do anything, I want to make sure that I have everything lined up so that it's all going to work out. There's no not going to be any hiccups. Uh, so like I could have gone full-time probably two or three years earlier than that if I wanted to invest my time into it in a full-time manner and make the sacrifices to take a risk. Um, but I'm just a very risk-averse kind of person, uh, unfortunately. And so everything I've done, yeah, is usually like well beyond uh, when I should have probably done it. Uh, in in lots of ways, uh, in uh, yeah, almost everything that I've done in my career, to be honest. But uh, that kind of um, more, I wouldn't say re responsible, but more like brought back like uh, approach to things, I think has been something that, especially like a year like this, that's been a little bit crazier, has a uh, conservative approach is what I was trying to think of, it has been something that like, you know, has made it so that I have like my hand in multiple places and I don't, I'm not relying on one particular revenue stream and I can kind of survive some things if there's hiccups and stuff like that. Um, but I think that, yeah, if you, I know plenty of people that have just decided to like kind of put their, dip their toe in the water for like a year, kind of do both things. And then the next year they're like, boom, full time rock and roll, you know? so cool to hear uh i love how this is kind of flowing because it was literally our next question of like how <laughs> how have you diversified <laughs> your process and business uh because again it's it's cool to hear because it's it's really kind of dipping into the philosophy of why we wanted to start this podcast is kind of taking that more cautious approach and not being so catered to the typical business world or what you might be taught in a business course in college where it's, you know, you need to, you know, supply funding and figure out how to get into debt so that you can, 
you know, take a chance on your idea, which might not be successful. Yeah. And I think now more than ever with what we have at our fingertips with the internet and what we can, we can do creatively, uh, now is the best time ever to have that kind of conservative approach. So what is, what is the diversification of your business look like these days and when did you do it and when did you feel like you needed to do it, need to do it? Yeah, well, it's, it's another example of me being, uh, I guess, like, I guess the word is like imposter syndrome, right? So like, mm -hmm. just like having an idea, knowing that it could work, but then kind of the whole like, well, someone else can do it better or like, well, this person's already doing this. So why should I do it? Um, if I'm being honest, that's like a lot of like my mindset going through a lot of these things. So um, I started offering uh, photo mentorship things like where people would come and learn from me for, for like a day back in 2013, I think, or maybe 2012, uh, which was around the same time that I got asked to speak at my first workshop. Um, and so like that kind of like teaching aspect of my business started, yeah, like eight, seven, eight years ago. Um, but it was because before that, I kept turning people down and saying like, no, I don't actually want to speak at your event. There's probably other better people to speak. Like you don't want to hear from me. Mm -hmm. um, and I took it as a creative challenge at one point to just like jump in and say, okay, fine, I'll speak at this thing. Um, which just like doing wedding photography immediately, like there was someone else at that event that heard me speak and said like, hey, I'm doing uh, another event in a couple months in Australia. Like, would you like, I would love to have you speak at my event there. And like, okay, cool. And then I just like fell into that whole like speaking world too. Um, and, the, and then the same thing with like teaching uh, on like a more like one-on-one -on -one basis. I had just people for a couple of years just saying like, hey, would really love to learn from you. Would really love to like have you teach me kind of thing. And I was like, I don't have like any education background. That's not me. Like you probably don't want that. Uh, and some friends of mine, I was flying into a wedding in Idaho and they're like, Hey, you're going to be in our town. We'll pay, you know, we'll pay this amount. And, uh, just please, please, please. Like, we'd love to learn from you. I was like, all right, fine. I guess I'll do it. Uh, and then once I did it, like, I was like, okay, well that wasn't that bad. Right. Um, and so, and then hearing like the positive feedback from them and like, that my worst fears weren't realized in that gave me the yeah. confidence to like, okay, now I can do this. Now I can move forward and uh, that kind of thing, which is the same thing with like, I sell photo presets um, and it, it was years. Like I was, you know, people for 10 years have been asking like, hey, can you sell your presets? Hey, can you sell them? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like everyone, there's already, Visco exists, Masson Labs is good. Like there's some good stuff out there. Don't worry about it. Um, and then finally just like, okay, no, I'm going to like delete every preset off my computer and <laughs> uh, make something that's like totally mine. No, like I has no other influence other than just like what I have in my head. No one can say I stole it from them, you know, and just going in that direction. But it was, it's a continual like imposter syndrome. Wait until way beyond when the demand was happening <laughs> to actually like go forward and do it uh, mm. other than you know, hoping there's demand and then jumping full into something that you're like, maybe this will work. Who knows? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's definitely my like super conservative approach to things. Uh, but if I can interject real quick. Too. Yeah, how, please. How do, you, how do you then sell something that is already saturated so much in the market? This applies to any industry, you know, like what sure. What kind of thing is going to set apart your presets versus Mastin or Visco or whoever was selling presets at the time? 
Well, they are the best presets in the world, so <laughs> that's probably helpful. Um, well, I mean, so, yeah, I am a bit of a, I'm not a perfectionist, but, like, I want everyone to like what I do, but I also want everyone to think it's slightly unique, unfortunately, Uh and so I wanted to make something that is like has really general appeal. So lots of people would hopefully like it uh, and it wouldn't be too niched into one particular thing. So in terms of marketing and, and stuff like that, it's going to have a, like a wide appeal. But then also I had to figure out, um, I made a list of like, okay, what are presets not giving me right now? Like what am I lacking in and what are, what are presets in general that I've used lacking? Um, and so I went to solve those particular problems, considering that hopefully other people also have those issues as well. Um, and so anybody that has like a, a following can probably go out and sell presets and make a few dollars and, and whatever. Um, but I, I specifically was going, okay, like here are my issues with presets. Here's what I feel like is missing. If I can solve this problem for me, I might be able to solve that problem for other people and at least give them... Yeah, something that's a little bit unique, a little bit different, and bring hopefully something slightly different to the market um, that is, yeah, similar in some ways to what what is still available, but um, kind of a different take and a different approach to it. And then could you briefly just chat about what, what Patreon looks like now and how this diversification has, um, has just carried you through 2020 and the insanity we've dealt with this year? <laughs> Sure. Um, well, I will give full credit to Sam Hurd, who is a photographer based in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and I spoke at uh, a, a workshop conference thing in Northern Ireland uh, like three, three and a half years ago. Um, and he had already started a Patreon three and a half years ago and was like had a few, few hundred at least at the time people on there, I think. Um, and he was like, dude, you got to get on this thing. It'd be really good for you. Like you wouldn't have to be traveling to Northern Ireland to make money, to have people, you know, join <laughs> in and the, the bar is low. Cause if, for people who don't know, uh, about Patreon, it's like a, a membership kind of thing that, uh, people like Sam and then Eric and I use as like an educational platform. Uh, so it's low cost, like mine's 10 bucks a month. Uh, and then I can provide small bits of educational content onto that. Um, so my launch date for Patreon after years of, you know, I should have done it, should have done it, should have done it, back burner, back burner, back burner. Uh, my launch date was March 1st. Um, so I made a bunch of videos, got all my stuff ready. Coronavirus (laughs) starts happening a little bit and I'm like, all right, well, March 1st, let's go hit, hit play. Um, and like it was good, and then my I hit my goals for the first month and everything like that, and then the pandemic hit, and everyone everything slowly tanked off of what my original kind of goals for it were. Um, but I I told Sam in in when I kind of met with him to talk to him about it, like I'm gonna give it a full year, even if one person subscribes, I'm gonna make the same amount of videos, and I'm gonna still go kind of all in on this thing for a whole year. Um, at least, and then hopefully it'll, it'll pan out. Right. It's kind of like the time investment. Um, but yeah, I think I have like 160 some people on there right now. And so, um, that's bringing in like 15, 16, 1700 bucks a month. And so, yeah, it's definitely just another kind of platform and way that, uh, has 
yeah, helped my diversification for income because especially like I haven't spoken at uh, normal photography events, which has become part of my business and part of my income. Um, and since there haven't been in-person <laughs> photography events this year, um, Patreon's definitely essentially made up for that exact amount so far that I normally would be making speaking at events. Um, so hopefully moving forward, I'll be able to have kind of both those things going on, you know? Yeah. So Patreon and selling Cascade presets online and, and YouTube, those are all very digital platforms mm -hmm. and seems pretty different than the, the work that the three of us are used to, which is wedding photography and, and interacting with people face to face and, and being at these big parties and everything. Mm -hmm. Has it been a, I guess when you first were doing this, was it a, a strange transition to move into more like e-commerce based things and to, and to work on digital platforms rather than the, the more, I guess, like human to human contact that we're kind of used to in our business? And what do you prefer? Yeah, I think which you prefer, is that what you said? Yeah, that just as a tag question to that too. Oh yeah, sure. Um, I mean, well, I mean, obviously for a year like this where there is no in-person contact, it just, you know, worked out pretty well that I had been kind of going down that road um, anyway. So like, you know, it's good to have stuff. And the, the nice part about it as well is it's digital. So the actual overhead, I'm not selling products. I'm not I don't have a warehouse with products that I'm selling. I don't have mm -hmm. overhead and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, and with that as well, uh, I worked out uh, that another like third-party company is the one that sells my presets for me. Um, and so I'm not dealing with, uh, I guess dealing with this sounds bad, but I'm not doing the customer service for most of it. I'm not handling... Uh, refunds or issues if someone has problems installing them and, and that kind of thing. Um, so in terms of like the e-commerce side of it, I'm not even really dealing with the e-commerce because Patreon just does it all themselves and sends you a, you know, a money transfer, you know, a, a bank transfer. And then same thing with presets. I just get everything transferred once a month. So, um, in terms of e-commerce, I'm not actually dealing with the back end. And then the other nice thing about it is on the same platforms I was already on, um, I'm you know showing my work on Instagram, I'm showing my work on YouTube or whatever. Um, and just by showing the photos I'm already doing, I'm then promoting the things that I'm like, I'm promoting myself as a photographer, I'm promoting myself mm -hmm. as an educator. Every photo that I post is either taken on film or taken with my presets. And so by simply posting my work as a normal photographer, I'm able to get my stuff out there. Um, so it's a really, it was, that part was a really easy, seamless transition um, where, yeah. And, and the other thing about like Patreon and speaking at live events and stuff like that is it's all kind of interconnected, right? So like, you know, maybe someone will hear me speak at an event or something like that who's never heard of me before and then they see my work and then they go, oh, cool, like, I love that. Oh, he sells presets? Oh, I've been wondering how I could get that look in my work. Maybe I'll buy those. Mm -hmm. Or, um, And even with, with speaking um, and with YouTube and everything like that, I've booked plenty of weddings from people who have just seen me do a lens review on YouTube and they were looking at the Leica Sumalux and all of a sudden they see, oh my gosh, this guy shoots this one and he's a wedding photographer. Cool. Like I've gotten probably five inquiries from that one lens video alone. Um, and I've probably booked like 15 weddings from people hearing me speak at workshops too, like four other wedding photographers that were in the audience for that. So, um, 
all that stuff obviously is just all really interconnected um, and super helpful that it's all sort of in in the same thing. Uh, the only downside really is that because it's all diversified out, but kind of the general client pool is all sort of the same. It's people mm-hmm. who either need photography or do photography. So it's still kind of like realmed into photography in general, um, which made it harder this year uh, with people going like, well, we're photographers that aren't making any money, so it's hard to give you money to teach us or buy your presets or whatever. Um, So that was the only big basket that everything falls into that if I'm really thinking about uh, diversification in my income and stuff like that, uh, it all does pool from that larger pool um but thankfully there's you know kind of subsets within that that have been able to work out and i don't mean to skip to this yet i don't want to hit this question full out yet but do you have any plans or ideas for diversification having experienced what you did what you're just talking about with only having that one pool of people how you want to diversify your business whether that's i don't know changing up youtube content or uh this is also a mixture of another question we want to ask like the online presence. What, what does all of that look like moving forward the next handful of years? Yeah. Um, I've thought about that too. Um, and just trying to figure out, I think that's my next thing is trying to figure out, okay. Um, I know a lot of my friends have like moved into real estate and stuff like that this year. I think I know like at least 10 photographers, if not 20, uh, as I'm kind of like rolling through, have all just like got their real estate license because they're just <laughs> like, hey, I need something to like, yeah, it's a weird like shift, but like it just seems like it's, you know, another like backup sort of option for a lot of people. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about, okay, cool. I think that, I think that kind of like pool, I guess the that's the analogy that I'm using, this like pool of, of client base or uh, potential income. I think it's large enough that once... Um, this whole pandemic thing sorts out in general. I don't really see it drying up. Man, this analogy is really going going into it, but <laughs> uh, I don't see it being like a long-term issue. So I think there's going to be money to be had in the general creative space for a long time to come. Um, but I think even like what you're doing with starting this podcast and kind of just like moving out of the direct niche of that one type of photography and kind of just slowly moving out, uh, brand building, um, you know, going and going into this kind of stuff we're both doing with, um, YouTube and and things like that. I think that's probably more the trajectory that I'm kind of on at this point is even like, you know, I was thinking about making like a, a video about like my iPad Pro, hmm. um, and I saw like our friend, our mutual friend Samuel Elkins made one today. Um, you know, and just kind of like the other creative adjacent stuff as well, yep. um, because I mean, I could start getting into like rental properties or other things, uh, but I think that my time and my expertise and that kind of thing are probably best served still in this space. Um, and then if I build that stuff up well enough, then maybe if I had more time, I could start going into something else like rental properties or, you know, whatever other thing that lots of other people uh, also kind of end up relying on. So yeah, that's kind of like my, my direction without having a specific, like, Oh, these are my 10 steps to get out of wedding photography <laughs> or something crazy. <laughs> 
We'll and be we'll, right back after this short commercial break. <laughs> Re record. Called Benj and Steven need to set our cameras up again. <laughs> Am I getting right? Nick and Laura, their adventure elopement. That was the big one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, with that being such a pivotal point in your career and kind of a linchpin on what kind of changed the trajectory over the next you know, five to eight years. Do you feel like this year is the same way with pandemic stuff and making you feel like you need to diversify into like more of a creative pool, if you will? Um, I think, I think it was one of those things that it was like a forced, like a creative shift. You weren't expecting Um, it. Yeah. Like I wasn't, obviously wasn't expecting to lose two thirds of my wedding work for the year due to a global (laughs) pandemic that Mm -hmm. yeah, has decimated the service industry. Mm -hmm. Um, but sort of the nice thing about the way that my approach has been, has been a slow, like a slow transition into (laughs) a slow burn. No, but a slow transition into different things. So it hasn't been like a, I've never just jumped hard and like, you know, thrown caution to the wind kind of thing. Um, you know, so like I've had, I've had a notes app on my, the notes app on my phone has had a list of YouTube videos that I've wanted to make for years. Um, my notes app has a podcast that has 50 episodes planned out. Um, that's been planned out for a year and a half. Um, you know, the Patreon thing is something I've been like thinking about in the back of my mind for the last three and a half years, at least since I talked to Sam at that workshop in Northern Ireland, you know? So, um, it's been one of those things where it's like everything else in my business had been going fine and been going well. Um, and everything was just kind of like rolling good. And so once everything started tanking, uh, in the actual photography realm of, of photographing things and stuff like that. It was like, all right, cool. Well, I have these other things that are on the back burner. I'm just going to move it from the back burner to the front of the stove and we're going to start working on those things. Um, mm-hmm. And so for me, at least, that's always been like kind of the creative process of like having and always like grabbing new knowledge uh, about other creative endeavors and things like that, even if I'm not putting all of my effort into that. Um, like right now, I, I'm not planning on it at all. But if I needed to shift my business from being photography to filmmaking tomorrow, I could do it because I feel like I have the skill set and the knowledge to do it, even though I have zero plans of doing that. But I see Sick. the way that video is becoming more and more important. I'm seeing the shifts mm-hmm. in social media. Um, I'm seeing the shifts in content from just general creative agencies into needing to know filmmaking. Um, and so over the past three or so years, I've figured out like shutter angles and like ND filters and audio and all these other things that have really no use in my current role as a wedding photographer, but just kind of thinking through future proofing what I'm doing and where I see trends moving. Um, my brain wants to go figure out those things because it's a fun, creative opportunity for me to learn something new. Uh, but also just going like, okay, cool. Like photography might meld more into video stuff someday. So I should probably figure out how that stuff works in a good capacity so I can be ahead of the curve in those ways, you know? But in a social media rich world of any kind of creative entrepreneur, that kind of skill set is intangible. I mean, having the ability to record yourself and do it well and stand out from your competition 
is second to none right now, in my opinion. And uh, yeah, what you're touching on is, I think even outside of the creative space, like if you, if you were in some sort of real estate and you had an, an Instagram or whatever, and you mm-hmm. could actually make above average content to deliver to people and the actual content was, was good, uh, yep. that could completely set you apart. Absolutely. I mean, I even, uh, a lot of times if I'm actually having these zoom meetings, um, you know, I'm recording, I'm like using my actual (laughs) camera and like putting my computer right below it so that like when I'm having actual meetings with people, I'm like booming a mic over myself. So the audio sounds great. The stuff is like lit with a soft box. Um, and I'm having like I basically I'm just going like I care deeply about the visual experience that you're mm-hmm. going to have with me from start to finish. And so if that means that I'm going to be probably the only person that's showing up to a Zoom meeting to like consult with you that's going to have a full professional live stream setup better than what people are using on the news on like CNN <laughs> uh, then like at least that's going to be another thing that goes like oh this guy's pretty serious about like what he's doing he takes himself maybe too seriously but you know what like he clearly cares about like what his visuals look like you know so yeah and then you made <laughs> a all Patreon about video about that and I was like well I need to know how to do that so I'm gonna I'm gonna pay you money and you're gonna teach me how to do that <laughs> yep and then like two months later Canon was just like oh yeah we should do this too and they were just released a software that made it way easier but I did figure out like I I you know, figure out I, like everything's going to go online and I'm going to need to do this. So I have to figure out this crazy way to make my actual like full frame mirrorless camera be able to hook into my computer to be uh, a thing without using any hardware because everything was sold out at the time, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, my my brain's always kind of moving in those creative directions, creative problem solving, all that kind of stuff. So. Benj, you seem like a very wise dude. <laughs> feels like you have a lot of is it because i'm old no do you no. see beard, like the gray in my beard and then you're like oh you seem wise wow. well it's the fact you that look you look like can a, grow a beard that seems wise because <laughs> i can't i don't know if you can tell over my great zoom quality uh camera <laughs> uh but i can't grow a beard to save my life so just seeing your beard i'm like i trust this guy mm. he seems wise you should cool. yeah <laughs> <laughs> and you've been doing this for a while, too. You have like a lot of experience in this field of wedding photography. What advice would you give to maybe a, a young entrepreneur who's just starting out, maybe someone who's in a bit of like a sophomore slump within their business, or someone who is 10 years in maybe wanting to, to change things up a little bit? What advice would you give to, to someone in that position or in any of those positions? Hmm. I mean, I think... Like, and we've like obviously touched on kind of my way of of doing this a lot, um, but I think thinking of all of your stuff in like a long term way and not just like I need to figure out how much money. I mean, obviously, if you're not in a financially stable position, like you're gonna have to like find ways to hustle to make things work and everything right. like that. Um, but think of things and and try to think long term about how the way your business is set up and how what you're charging is and all that kind of stuff, how that's going to work for you in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I, cause I've been doing this, for, I think it'll be year 13 next year or maybe it's 14 next year. It's been a long time either way. Um, I've been doing remember. this for a long time. <laughs> I don't even know. I'm so old. Um, 
But like, I, I think, and I've talked to friends of mine too, there's like a, a lot of like cliffs that people hit in this industry. I think like mm. probably the three-year cliff is like where a lot of people fall off. They just, mm. they, they get into it. They like, this is fun. Uh, I like doing photography. People like to do this stuff with me. And then they start to kind of hit like the, the nitty gritty of like, I'm running a business. I have to pay taxes. I have to like actually do the kind of stuff that makes this a business. Um, and they go like, ah, oh, this isn't fun anymore. I'll try something else. And then there's like another like five to seven year hit where it's like, okay, this has been running for a while, but maybe I'm not charging enough to be sustainable. Uh, maybe this is too stressful. Maybe I'm shooting 50, 60 weddings a year and then I just don't like this anymore. Maybe it's profitable, but it's just like, it's just sucking everything out of me. I see a lot of people then kind of fall off that cliff then. Um, and then kind of like the 10 year plus margin as well. It's like, okay, I've done this, I figured it out, but maybe I'm kind of just burned out of what's happening. I'm not getting joy out of this anymore. Uh, it's too easy, not too easy, but like you just feel like sometimes you're just going through the motions. Um, and so in all of those different things, figuring out like, okay, what's bringing you joy in this? Like, what are you getting out of it personally? Other than if it's just a financial thing and you're just doing photography to make money, like you're, it's probably not going to do it for you. You know, like you could do it, but maybe if you're really great at business, maybe you should just hire a team of photographers to work under you and then Mm. you don't shoot it and just run it like a business. Um, because there's, there can be money there. Um, but yeah, th- just trying to think like long term about like okay, if I make this decision, even in simple things like editing, like if I jump jump too far into like this particular style or this particular thing, like how is my work gonna look in ten, fifteen years? Um, but also just thinking really practically of like okay, if I'm charging twenty five hundred dollars, how much money do I have to make to like support a family or buy a house or save for retirement or um, you know, all those things and like how, you know, how much work and how many hours a week is that going to be worth it to do versus maybe working something else that's less stressful or whatever. So, um, I know that's kind of like a lot of different directions, but it feels like those are the the questions that I was asking myself in those different points and kind of, again, like the cliffs that I see other people sort of fall off around those similar time frames and talking to people over the years, um, yeah, just a, that's a wildly wise response because and I know we're joking about it, but so many people get into a creative industry and get so excited about it and get caught up in all the frills. And that three, three year cliff, I think is probably so true in so many different realms of business where they yeah. get met with the reality of what does this look like long term? And the fact mm-hmm. that you were early on talking about what it looked like to have a sustainable business over time and thinking that five to 10 years down the road. Uh, I think that's one of the most important things we can think about. And is th- in the process of uh, like, like you and I do, we're very cautious in what we choose to do. We might not be the first to, uh, to be at the punch for, uh, whatever it is. We might not be uh, trailblazing, but still finding success because we're taking measured steps in, uh, seeing the success and grow, growing slowly and building something sustainable that's not just going to crash and burn at any given time. Totally. I mean, and and this could be a, a great thing or it could be a bad thing. We've talked a lot about how, like, I've I've done a lot of like adventure elopements and stuff like that. Um, and that's kind of like part of my thing and part of my brand and everything like that. But like, 
I didn't just like move to the mountains and like refuse to shoot other weddings. Like mm -hmm. I still shoot like I'll still shoot a wedding at a ballroom. Like I, I'm not turning that down and exclusively going into that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, because I feel like I still want to like have the availability and everything like that to have relationships with the high end planners in different cities and, um, do all those kind of things that aren't just me and a couple in the woods some someday, because maybe that's a trend that like, hopefully we'll continue for a long time, but like maybe it's not. So, you know, finding ways that like, okay, this is a good place to be in and to go in this direction, everything like that. Um, but again, my long-term brain of like, if I want to do this for a long, long, long time, if I shut off relationships and um, only go in one particular direction, it'll probably be really, really successful for a while, hmm. but you're most likely going to have to pivot when the next big shift happens and you can probably ride that over over for maybe a decade um but if the thing shifts completely back to more traditional ways of you know weddings and elopements and everything like that then you might be left high and dry at the same time too if you're you know only going in one direction so phenomenal um last thing before <laughs> before we close this is i'm just very happy about how uh, this is gone, and this is really exciting um, because I don't know. I was talking to Stephen before this episode of like if if I if you had told me I would be sitting down talking to you eight years <laughs> ago on my podcast, I would have yeah. crapped myself <laughs> because I was like I was like number one Ben Chaish fanboy from day Aww. one. Yeah, and he's got the shirt to prove it and everything. <clears throat> oh, I should have made shirts. <laughs> that would have been great. Ben Chaish fanboy number one. <laughs> Yikes. Steven cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> Big yikes. <laughs> um, oh, but uh, seriously, um, really appreciate everything you've done for uh, for the industry and the, the even the philosophies that you've taught. And man, just like the mountain of information I've learned from you over the years. Hmm. Uh, I, I owe a lot of my success and career to you being a trailblazer in the way that you were. I remember sitting in my dorm uh, <laughs> sophomore year of college in 2010 and watching looking at one of your blogs on Facebook <laughs> and just being like I want to I want to be a photographer I want to do mm. this and uh, it's just really cool to sit down and chat with you long form about this eight years later you know talking about yeah. the slow oh, burn totally. and the process of it all um, so yeah. lastly I just want to I just want to close off on this um, you've kind of uh you've kind of championed this phrase throughout your career. Comparison is the thief of joy. And mm -hmm. while obviously like we don't know where that phrase came from, um, I would just love to hear you speak to that just to kind of close out in relation to what it means to have a business. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's the reason that I've like, I sort of championed that phrase is because when I came across it, whoever it came from, it was just like hit me like a ton of bricks, right? Because that is me in a nutshell. Um, and it, it kind of hit me. I, I came across that quote um, where at the time I was like making probably four times more money than I ever thought I would make. I was um, I was gaining. I had like 150,000 Instagram followers. Like it was just like this like surreal time in my life where. I was like photographing weddings uh, in Europe and like flying all over the place. And um, 
but at the same time i like felt a really empty inside but like everything that i was doing was like hitting the like towards the pinnacle of what the industry told me success was um you know i was doing all the things that the industry said this is this is like successful you're doing a great job like this is where you should be in an absolutely ideal world um and yeah i was feeling like just like junk um and i realized a lot of it and still to this day i still like struggle with it but then sure i would like post a photo and it would get like a bunch of likes or something like that and then i would scroll down in my feed and then someone else would have posted a photo in maybe a slightly cooler location then i'd be like oh like i remember i was in the airport flying back from doing a wedding in or an elopement in santorini and it was just like one of the coolest things I'd ever done. Like this sounds like such a stupid humble brag to even be telling this story. Um, but like amazing couple, such a cool thing, like some of the coolest photos I'd ever made. And I was in the airport like editing the photos. I just sent a couple out to them uh, and I was super proud of them. And then I just started scrolling Instagram and being like, oh, well, this guy's in Iceland. This guy just posted these photos here. Like, And I just immediately went from this like ultra high of like, this is amazing. I'm I'm killing it to like I'm a failure. I'm not doing as good as other people and just going like I'm literally in the spot that like I should be jealous of being in of, of another person and would be jealous. Um, and so realizing that like any time that I'm comparing myself to other people, it's completely like downplaying and minimizing anything that I've accomplished um, and making it out to be. Yeah, like you, you, you make yourself into a, or I can make myself at least into a failure, even though everything else could be going great. Um, and so, yeah, just like the comparison game of going like you know chasing numbers or followers or um, whatever it may be, turning all those into just championing other people. Um, you know, like I could, I could look at how many YouTube subscribers you have or whatever, Eric, and be like, oh my gosh, well, I'm not, I don't, I don't have as many YouTube subs. So like I'm failing at this, but instead, like I'm trying to be a person that just goes, oh, sick. Like my friend Eric is crushing it on the YouTube game right now. That's amazing. Like, and be stoked on when other people are, um, doing amazing things and celebrating that in my own head, um, instead of making it a, into a comparison game. Right. Cause it just makes everyone feel like garbage otherwise. Um, so, well, if it helps, Ben, you definitely have more subscribers than I do. So you've got that going for you. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like that's, that's the thing is like, like no matter who you are, someone else probably wants to be where you're at. Yep. And then you're somewhere that someone else wants to be comparing yourself to somebody else who probably wants to be where someone else is. Mm-hmm. And that, that goalpost of where you want to be, if you, allow yourself to com- continually compare yourself to other people, that goalpost keeps moving. So you could get to whatever your thing is and then immediately not be satisfied and need to move on to the next thing. And you're just chasing after this, like you're like chasing after the carrot in front of you that you're never going to get, you know, mm-hmm. um, instead of finding ways to be like satisfied and, and sort of proud about where you are. And um, yeah, not in like a boastful, terrible way, but like a, Hey, I've, I've reached my goals. I should be happy. And uh, satisfied in where I'm at, you know, and to be excited for everyone else who's doing that as well and like seeing them meet their goals and being pumped for them, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it's just really encouraging to hear you say that seeing, you know, having probably you're probably the person I've followed the longest time across the Internet. Mm. 
and just seeing you find enough humility to share that kind of sentiment and uh, sharing it so that other people can feel the benefit of feeling joy in the things they're pursuing instead of constantly feeling like garbage pursuing what's unattainable time after time after each accomplishment. Um, totally. So thanks. Thanks for your vulnerability on that. Totally. And, and an easy way too is just to think back like, I mean, it's not always like this, but when you're growing and you have some sort of sustained growth, thinking back to like where you were three, four years ago and then seeing where you are currently is not sometimes an easy benchmark to go, man, what were my, and especially if you start writing down your goals and then checking mm. back on those a few years later and going like, oh, my, my goal was to be, you know, at whatever the milestone might be. Oftentimes you're exceeding that goal um and then once you're there you're still feeling inadequate but then you can go back and be like, a few years ago i was you know, i was hoping to get to x amount of followers or make x amount of money or whatever and then oftentimes for me at least i've i, well, I always want to make goals that i can achieve so <laughs> i kind of cheat in that way uh but i'm i'm usually exceeding those goals um and then feeling bad so going back and going oh my gosh like I've, I've exceeded those and I should take pride and like joy in that, um, can be a really Im impactful thing that makes you kind of like ground yourself back into reality. Um, the other thing about grounding yourself in reality is also, this is a, a quick little rando tip, but finding people in your life that aren't in that industry or aren't mm. like entrepreneurs and aren't, um, chasing after the same kind of thing that a lot of us are is super grounding because mm. you know like i could i remember when jonas peterson was shooting something in some crazy country and i was like oh my gosh all i want to be is jonas peterson you know like i don't know 10 years ago and then just thinking like no one else in my entire life knows who that guy even is <laughs> like who cares you know, like, and they don't, and the other people in my life, like, I remember I was talking to some people last year about like, oh, I'm traveling this place and like all this kind of stuff. And they were like, okay, cool. Like, don't really care. Like it would have been, it would have been cooler if you were home, you know? Right. Um, so having other people in your life that can, can ground you into reality, um, has been a really, really good thing for me as well. So for what it's worth. Well, thank you, Ben, for just kind of pulling back the curtain, letting us see like the inner workings of your business and your philosophy and just kind of diving into that for us and for our listeners. Uh, greatly appreciated. As I mentioned, always appreciative of you and what you stand for and who you are and what you teach over the web. Um, so, yeah, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, yeah. Uh, so if me. you guys are... Of course, if you guys are interested uh, in Stephen and I's uh, breakdown of what we talked about uh, with Benj here, you can go over to my Patreon. Uh, if you sign up for the $10 a month, you'll have access to hear every breakdown of every episode of what we are taking away from it. Um, so you can feel free to go check that out. Benj, where can people find you online? Yeah, uh, my name's Weird. So it's, yeah, like you said, it's Benj Heish. And I'm, I'm that on everything. So... I have, yeah, Patreon, uh, which you should be subscribing to Eric's if you're not already. I'm a That's subscriber fun. or whatever it is, a patron of that. <laughs> um, Instagram, YouTube now. Don't check my Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I'm not on Xbox Live, but if I was, I'm still Ben Heish on there as well. So, yeah, just <laughs> if you want to find me anywhere, you can type my name in and it'll probably probably be there. 
And if you need help, just go to the title of the show notes of the podcast. You can see how to spell Benj Heish because everybody messes it up. So. Oh, totally. Yeah. Thank you, Benj. Dude, thank Love you so you. much. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.